0: This is Performance Delivered, Insider Secrets for Digital Marketing Success with Stefan Horst and Dave Antiel. Welcome to the Performance Delivered, Insider Secrets for Digital Marketing Success podcast, where we talk with marketing and agency executives and learn how they build successful businesses and their personal brand. I'm your host, Stefan Horst. The topic for today's episode is how to use online trends to create hit products. Here to speak with me is Tim Swindle, who is the co-founder at Glacier Games. Tim has been an entrepreneur for over 10 years, having launched multiple companies in the toy, game, and novelty space. His first game, Utter Nonsense, achieved rapid commercial interest and ultimately went on to be sold in Target, Walmart, and other major retailers around the country. His latest product, Paddle Smash, is one of the fastest-growing outdoor games in the U.S. Tim, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, Tim, before we find out how you come up with all these amazing ideas uh, and these games, tell our listeners a little bit more about yourselves. How did you get started in your career and, and what led you to inventing games?
1: Sure. So my journey started about a little over 10 years ago and I was actually a software entrepreneur. We were building a sales software. It was basically a way for you're sending a lot of content as a salesperson. You're sending out links to your website, case studies, contracts, videos, different kinds of multimedia. We would package up all that content, put your brand on it. And then as you sent it to the customer, we would provide analytics step back to you to understand if they were looking at it when they were looking at it so you could kind of base your follow up. So anyway, while building that company which was obviously it was a tech company, it was venture backed, burned a lot of cash. We were, you know, trying to grow fast, we running big teams. It was a very stressful environment for all of us to be in. And on the side as like a side hustle passion project, I decided to to launch a, a board game, like a physical card game. And this was just a nights and weekends project, just kind of with my additional creative energy. And it was, it, the, the idea behind it was, I had read an article in Inc Magazine where they covered uh, a game called Cards Against Humanity, which was a really popular game several years ago, and quite frankly, still is. And it was made by just a bunch of right out of high school, kids uh, from Chicago, which was where I was from. So I had played the game, really enjoyed it. And Inc. Magazine with this article, more or less kind of laid out the whole game plan for how they took this game to market. And so while I had no background in, in experience in launching games, I saw that and I was like, you know what, that's interesting. Because there is a game that I've been playing with friends up at lake houses and whatnot on weekends when it's late at night and you're trying to finish the last couple of beers, looking for something to do. We'd come up with this game and it basically it ultimately became utter nonsense, um, and it's, it's a really simple concept. You you basically just kind of speak in funny voices and say silly say silly phrases in funny voices. So you may have to speak with a British accent, or I don't know. It was a little R-rated, so we we're a little more aggressive, but I won't go there. Um, so anyway, decided to launch this game. Didn't know what I was doing. Did a Kickstarter campaign because that's what the Cards Against Humanity guys did. Got funded. It by no means blew up on Kickstarter. It was just one of these, you know, kind of hit my funding goal. It gave the first win. And I just took that momentum. I ended up getting introduced to this gentleman who ran a uh, kind of a niche retailer uh, with like 40 locations around the country that took the game in. And that just kind of started my journey. So it was, you know, this kind of dumb idea to do this silly card game. Unlike other businesses that I've been involved with, it just kind of caught on quickly and i decided that you know this was the path that i ultimately wanted to go with my life i had a ton of fun doing it creating games is very rewarding and not only do you have fun coming up with the concepts but you're also bringing fun to the world which i think is a it's a, it's a little cheesy but i'm being genuine when i say it and that you know I, if if i can spend my days coming up with ways for people to have fun and bring fun to the world I feel pretty good about that. And um, so that game went on to be sold to Target, Walmart, et cetera. Ultimately, I came out with a few, few few more versions of it. That then had some of the bigger players in the space um come calling, wanting to acquire it. Uh meanwhile, we sold our software company to LinkedIn. Um, the timing was just right for me to sell the board game and just kind of take some time off. And uh, so I sold it. And uh, but I decided that kind of when I was ready to get back into to working, that I wanted to really stay within the, the kind of the toying game space just because I I really enjoyed it from a, a different a few different uh, perspectives. Interesting. Interesting. How do you go about coming up with new ideas? I mean how the the
0: other nonsense kind of be explained is kind of you mm-hmm. played with friends, you made it probably up, et cetera. And, and 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 that kind of got legs basically. Mm-hmm. How did Pedal Smash come about? You know, how, how did you go about finding, you know what, this is the next game I want to do?
1: Once you, once you get into this mode of trying to be creative and come up with ideas, I feel like there's like a certain muscle that you train yourself to learn. And it, you know, in our case, with games, a lot of them follow trends in pop culture and things that are happening online. And so you just kind of like stay attuned. Like your antennas are always up. My business partner likes to give the example of like a domesticated dog versus one that lives in the wild. Domesticated dogs have the floppy ears because they're not as alert as the ones that are out in the wild that are always worried about being eaten. And so in this case, I feel like my my ears and my, you know, I'm just attuned to kind of what's going on. I'm always looking for for ideas. so I'm very sensitive to when I see certain trends happening. So certainly right now there is a huge trend within just the sporting space, sports space of pickleball. Pickleball is the fastest growing sport in America. Um, For those that aren't familiar, it's basically like a cross between ping pong and tennis. So tennis is kind of a hard game to learn. If, you're, if you didn't grow up playing it, the serve is hard to get in. It's somewhat elitist. I don't know. Uh, it's just hard. And then, you know, then ping pong, everybody could play it. So if you could just imagine it's it's played with like a solid paddle with like a wiffle ball, um, but like outside general, generally outside on like a bigger court uh, than a ping pong table, certainly uh, and a smaller, like half the size of a tennis court. So just it's very approachable it's growing like wild because I think it's so accessible. So with that, we just kind of were like, ah, it'd be cool to do something related to pickleball. But how do, you, how do you iterate on that? And it was like, well, could there be some sort of like portable version of it? Because right now you have to have a court, right? It's about, you know, it's a little smaller than a tennis court. And while it's very popular, there's still not courts everywhere. And if there are, they're typically uh, crowded. And so we were like, it'd be fun if we could come up with something that people could just play in their backyards. And so my business partner and I just kind of started brainstorming some ideas. We actually drew, sketched a couple things out as luck would have it. We were introduced to a gentleman who had also been parallel pathing something very similar, and he, had, he was far ahead of us. He had created a prototype. He's a structural engineer by trade. Uh, So he just likes tinkering. He's very smart at, you know, coming up with concepts and putting them together. He's good with a CNC machine and a router. And he actually came up with a game that was very similar to what we were trying to come up with ourselves. So we saw this. Uh, through just, a, we were introduced to him through a mutual connection and he didn't know what to do with it. He's not an entrepreneur, he's an engineer. And while he had created this great prototype, he'd been playing this game with friends and family for for a couple of years, he didn't know what to do with it. And so we were like, this is basically what we've been looking for. So I don't know if I could totally answer your question there because um, a lot of times we do come up with our own stuff. And then in this case, we actually are licensing this particular concept from somebody else, hmm. um, and so um, in, in paddle smash specifically, we'd been like I said looking for something like this, trying to come up with ourselves through total luck and happenstance. Came across a gentleman who had already kind of created one, and uh, we decided to license it from him.
0: Yeah. Aside from paddle smash, what is, what is the other process that you go through? Are you are you using data to to see whether there's a certain interest there? If so, what kind of data are you using?
1: So, outside of Paddle Smash, in terms like other games that we've launched, uh, there's one that we did last year called Alley Hoopster, and maybe two years ago now, and it was born out of the during the pandemic. You saw a bunch of videos of people bored in their basement, basically doing. Ping pong trick shots, where they would kind of bounce a ping pong ball off of the ceiling, off across the room, off pots and pans, and try to like get it into a hoop of some mm-hmm. sort. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we saw these; they were, you know, they were on like Good Morning America. Some of these ki- kids that were doing these and um, just going viral on TikTok and YouTube, and again, going back to just you know, very attuned to kind of spotting these trends. We were like, oh, that's really interesting. There there doesn't currently exist a game where, you know, you create ping pong trick shots, basically. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we ultimately decided to come up with, where it's like this kit of creating a trick shot game where you've got backboards and boards and it kind of comes with this kind of big, cool uh, ping pong launcher. So you can fire a ping pong ball across the room. So I'd say, like, yes, there is certainly data that we're looking at, but it's it's more anecdotal than purely statistics in terms of, you know, what kind of data we're looking for. Um, we're just seeing that there's literally these things going viral. You're seeing the millions of views that people, you know, that these things are getting. And that's giving us enough confidence to then want to pursue it on our own to say, all right, there's some sort of established, proven concept here that, we're piggybacking, so we're not being so trailblazing that it's like nobody's ever heard of this type of thing. Mm-hmm. So when we say like a ping pong trick shot game, people can maybe relate it back to some of these viral, you know, videos that they've seen, and you know that's kind of how we you know move forward in that particular instance.
0: Interesting. How many ideas do you usually have before you kind of pursue a product to take it further, basically, sure. to, to kind of think about? Hey, is this is this product that a mass or a bigger group would like and and then let's 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 go in through the motion to develop it it,
1: it goes in phases so you know, as an entrepreneur you're constantly coming up with dumb ideas <laughs> and you'll just I don't know these things pop in your head all day and some of them just kind of stick around so most of them by the next day you're like ah that was a dumb idea but sometimes they stick around and they stick around for a few days and you kind of ruminate on it and you beat it up in your head and maybe you look online to see like hey does something like this already exist out there and then it's like well why doesn't exist why doesn't it exist and some of those questions are just like it hasn't come out yet you know like it just this opportunity may may present itself so from there i want to get it out of my own head and i want to talk to people and, you know, in some cases it'll be my business partner, but it's also good to not only, I mean, certainly you can talk to your friends and family because they're going to be the easiest to talk to. But if there's a way to kind of pull people that do not know you, or one trick I'll do is I'll say to my friends and family, hey, you know, I, I, somebody gave me this idea that, and I'm just trying to help them out and evaluate whether it's legitimate. So that way I'm removing the personal relationship because anybody that knows you doesn't want to insult you to your face so you tell them you have an idea they're gonna immediately probably say that's great that's great Tim, love it and it's total bullshit so you need to kind of disassociate you know yourself from the idea and get that raw authentic feedback on if there's something there and if that kind of so if this idea, it stuck around in your own head for a couple of days, you beat it up, it passed the sniff test of like, does it exist? Why doesn't exist, et cetera. You can kind of talk to a couple of people. Well, if it's still working out, then maybe it's worth pursuing. You know, then you may look at um, like in Paddle Smash's case, we looked at what does the outdoor game market look like? How big is that? Right. And what we found was that it's the fastest growing category in all of games. And maybe this was covid related. I don't know. But it's something where, you know, we gave us the confidence again, just to look at kind of where the, the, the trends were going in terms of like this is a emerging space. Um, there's there's a game that, so, so Paddle Smash, I, I think I kind of skipped over really what Paddle Smash is. So Paddle Smash is a combination of pickleball and a game called Spikeball. And uh, Spikeball is you know, again, probably been the most popular backyard game for the past 10 plus years. And so we looked at that, you know, again, it's like a, uh, that's an independent publisher. So that's kind of what we are. So we're not Hasbro, we're not Mattel, you know, these big publicly traded companies. And it's the interesting thing with innovation is that a lot of times innovation actually happens not at the big companies. There's a, is it, a, I don't know, is it Paul Graham or who is it? The, the innovator's dilemma. Christensen, I think, has the innovator's dilemma. And it's like, why does why do the big companies always get disrupted? And it's because there's just, they're afraid to fail. They're too big and bureaucratic, right? I mean, if something comes up in an idea meeting, well, there's going to be, too many people sitting there shooting it down because it's too risky or off-brand or whatever it is. And that's kind of the beauty of being in my position is that I don't have all that that I have to worry about, right? I'm willing to take risks and I need to take risks. I need to stand out. And so it, it, that, that's one benefit I think that you know I have and that we have versus some of like the, the behemoths in the space. Is that you know we can take these risks early on, and um, so that's that's what we're doing here. And um, so there's, there was there was a couple things that just seemed to fit for us. We saw that the you know the data showed us from a numbers perspective that you know while we have never done an outdoor game, this was a really fast growing area, and that we wanted to maybe try to do something with. Uh, we looked at some of the bigger competitors in that space. Spikeball, I mentioned another one called CrossNet that only launched a couple of years ago. They've exploded quickly. Um, They're again an independent. So there just seems to be something about these like independent publishers that seem to do well in that space that just gave us the confidence to move forward. Interesting. Now, what's
0: the value? How much is just an idea worth?
1: Well... I wish it was worth more. <laughs> uh, cause I've got a lot of ideas. Unfortunately, the idea, you know, they're not worth what the, uh, the, the, the napkin that they're written down on. So in the toy game space, I'm being facetious. There is a value. Uh, as, as I mentioned, we did actually license, uh, paddle smash, uh, from, from the inventor. So in our case, in the toy game world, there is, um, kind of a, kind of a baseline of a 5% royalty based on net sales so that's just kind of like if you've got a proven concept in some way shape or form you know you've created the prototype like in in our case we were able to play this thing we have we were able to take it to a park and play with other people and then it can go up from there like if you're a proven uh, inventor with some big hits that you've had before maybe you'll get, Call it seven or eight percent. If you're like a celebrity and you're bringing some of the marketing power with you, the ability to sell the product as well, um, that may garner a larger percentage. But generally, you see in in our world in the toy game space, an idea is worth about a five percent royalty.
0: Now, a second ago, we already talked about you know how many ideas it takes to to kind of move a product further in the stages can you elaborate a little bit more on on the process to bring a new idea to life you know you talked about obviously you come with an idea if it lingers you know you start talking to friends or kind of talking to family people that might not be connected to you but what happens after that how do you take that idea that you go that you have and then start developing it and building parts of you know bringing it uh, to life Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So the next thing we do to, be, to create a prototype. So for the most part, the idea has probably just been in your head. Maybe it's on paper, maybe you've sketched something up. But I think you need to get that real feedback of people using the product, playing with it, touching and feeling it. What is the what is the response, the visceral response from people using the product? And so, you know, having done this now for a few years, you know, have relationships with some of these manufacturers that are able to do prototyping for you. Um, the beauty of like this day and age with technology, things like 3D printing has become super valuable because for a relatively low cost, uh, you can take your idea and have it come to life in a physical form to be able to play with it and, and and do whatever you want to do with it and test it and use it and get in front of other people to do the same thing. And so you know, that would be the next step. Um, so, again, thinking about just trying to keep costs really low, using as much as little money as possible early on before you have really strong conviction. And so it'd be to go get a prototype made from there. Like I said, kind of go back to the the, the, the focus groups, if you will, have them use it what's working, what's not. And then, you know, if you're still feeling confident, you're still feeling like this thing needs to exist in the world, then you're going to create a brand around it. You're gonna cut your, obviously like name it, come up with the logo, the packaging, all that. You're gonna do a probably small production run. And then the beauty, uh, the hardest part, by the way, is the distribution. The beauty of what we have now in this day and age is the ability to control distribution ourselves to some degree. So, with the you know popularity of Shopify websites, you can spin up your own storefront and sell it direct to consumer via your e-commerce website. You can spin up a Amazon storefront to then you know get in front of all of the Amazon consumers out there. So. You know, those are two direct paths, um, and that's what we're doing with Paddle Smash to start. You know, so we've got our PaddleSmash.com website. We've got it on Amazon. Start gathering reviews. And then hopefully from there, if you've got something that's a hit, it's going to get the attention of some of the bigger retailers out there. And uh, what's nice, though, is that you can control that conversation and have some leverage, because if you've already got sales through your website, through Amazon, you've collected reviews you just you have some data yourself that you can then bring to the negotiating table with buyers to say listen like i think this product has merit and i think you should carry it in your stores and so that's that's kind of the the process in a nutshell
0: is that a completely new ball game starting to talk to retailers and then trying to get the product placed in their stores
1: It is. And it's become more difficult because of the consolidation within retail. You just have kind of less options than you used to have in terms of doing real volume. uh, You certainly have a number of call it like mom pop type stores, but that's a lot. It's a lot of work, you know, to go kind of sell one off to, you know, locations like that. What you're hoping, I think, if you're doing you know, if you, if you want your if you want mass market popularity and product and appeal uh, you, to have a mass market appeal, you want to go to the mass market retailers like the Target, Walmart, et cetera. Um, in our case, you know, Dick's Sporting Goods is, is a big one that we actually just signed up, um, which we're very excited about. So it'll be in select Dick stores, Dick Sporting Goods stores here shortly. So, yeah, I mean, they just carry a lot of leverage because they know that they're going to be buying a lot from you, and uh, so anyway, you can kind of level that playing field in terms of you know negotiating with with the buyers. I mean, you're kind of just desperate because you, you probably just want them to say yes and you're gonna do whatever it takes. Um, so to the extent that you can, like I said, just maintain leverage, be able to walk walk away and say no, if the deal is not good enough is, is, is a really strong position to be in. And so that's why I personally love the rise of this like, you know, direct to consumer space, owning your own website, owning that data, understanding who the customer is, you know, being able to use because all that becomes really valuable when you do get in retailers. You can help them understand who the buyer is, Mm -hmm. what does that persona look like? And that in turn helps them make their buying decisions and how they market it as well. So you're just more of a value add player as versus just kind of like trying to get your products sold in stores.
0: Yeah. Is it easier to um, to get your product in store after you already were successful? So you said earlier, obviously, utter the nonsense you got into Target, or I said that, um, you got into Target, Walmart, and other retailers. Now you already have the phone number to call someone there, or is, is it still challenging to, to kind of reach out first and say, look, you know, we have this new product that has picked up on popularity, um, would love to talk about, you know, placing it in mm-hmm. your stores.
1: It's not easy, but it is easier if okay. that makes sense. Okay. So I certainly know how to talk the talk and walk the walk with, with, with these buyers now mm-hmm. and having a proven track record. And then, cause they're taking risk on a lot of times they're trying to climb the corporate ladder on their side and get the next promotion. And it's risky to work with someone that's new and that's little, let's say, right. They, their safer bet is to work with the Hasbro's of the world or whatever it may be, the bigger, more established companies that know all of the back end and doing fulfillment. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, there's just a lot that goes into it outside of just creating the product and bring it to life. Um so yes, it does help when I can walk into a room or in a cold email. Because like in our case with Paddle Smash, you know, we're reaching out to Dick Sporting Goods. I don't have a relationship with Dick Sporting Goods. Target, yes. Walmart, yes exporting goods? No, I don't know anybody there. But the fact that I could say I've worked with a target before who would consider a peer to them, you know, um, just gives you that social proof, that uh, credibility, if you will. Um, and then the other big thing that I think was getting would get attention almost as much as the kind of the track record that that I have and my business partner has is this particular game for paddle smash you're riding two very popular trends that they're seeing huge success within their stores so pickleball they're killing it they're selling tons of pickleball paddles and balls so they're looking for more pickleball stuff Mm -hmm. because they know of how popular it's going right now and how much they're selling of it same thing where pickleball meets spikeball so two big buzzwords that we're using to try to get a meeting and they know from the numbers they have, that Spikeball was the best selling outdoor game for them for the past ten years. So between those two things and then the track record and the history of you know, having success working with bigger retailers, I do think that that makes it a little easier um, to get a meeting.
0: Yeah. What advice would you give people that want to need to reach out to those retailers in order to introduce the product, to get a meeting, uh, to sell it in?
1: I'd say one is put yourself in their shoes. And at the end of the day, they want to know that if they bring this thing in, it's going to sell. So any way you can give them confidence that this thing is going to sell is what you should focus on. Don't focus on, I don't know, the features and like this does this, it's just like, give them the data to be like, hey, you know, we've we launched on Amazon three months ago, we've done X amount of sales, our ratings are this, and you know, this thing is like trending, you know, just, they want to know that's going to sell in their stores like that's what they care about and then also know that they are getting hit up constantly by people trying to get on their shelves so just be consistent just continue to reach up you know like if it's if until you're gonna get, get a no or get a restraining order it's like what somebody fails <laughs> and so you just you have to kind of keep following up and um that just happened to me i'm, I'm trying to get into another big retailer And I've been reaching out for probably a month and a half and got nothing back. And on Saturday, randomly got a LinkedIn message that they want to talk. So I think, you know, hopefully what I'm doing, I'm I'm living and breathing my own advice. I'm just continue if I've got something new, for instance, like we have this uh, Forbes article that we just were able to get a little write up on. Um, I sent that to him being like, Hey, mm-hmm. we haven't responded yet, but wanted to share this, you know, Forbes article that just came out. Again, another social proof point. Like you just keep hitting them with, you know, hopefully things that they will care about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Until you hear leave me alone, just yeah. Keep on engaging them with, you know?
1: Yeah. So you get a no or get a restraining order. <laughs> <Yeah. to show>. <laughs> exactly.
0: exactly. <laughs> Tim, before we come to the end of today's podcast episode, um, last question here. What should aspiring entrepreneurs do if they have an idea they want to pursue?
1: The one thing I've noticed with aspiring entrepreneurs is they're very delicate with their own ideas. They want to hold it. They're afraid to share it. They think people are going to take their idea. Again, ideas are a dime a dozen. Everybody's got ideas. Nobody wants yours. Nobody knows how to do with it. Nobody knows what to do with it if they did want it. Um, nobody has the force. You know, Nobody's going to be as passionate about an idea as you are. And so my advice would be to go talk about it. Tell the world about your idea like not, not, not no NDAs, no, no, like that stuff is just so stupid, in my opinion. Um, it's go out there, talk about it, try to get that raw feedback like I was talking about, you know, don't just ask your mom if she thinks it's a good idea. Your mom loves you. She's going to tell you it's great, even though it's terrible. So, you know, put your idea into motion, get out there. Talk about it. Try to get people that don't know you um, to give you their feedback, to give you that confidence that, hey, you know, there really is something here uh, for you to kind of keep kicking that can down the road.
0: Perfect. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining me on the Performance of podcast and sharing your thoughts on how to use online trends to create hit products. If people want to find out more about you, about Paddle Smash, how can they get in touch?
1: So we are currently available on our website at paddlesmash.com. We just went live about a month ago, and um, we are also, you know, on amazon.com. We've got um, a listing on there, and uh, we'll soon be in select Dick's and shield stores. But, uh, you know, paddlesmash.com and Amazon is probably the easiest for folks to find us.
0: Perfect. We'll have that in the show notes. Now, thanks, everyone, for listening. If you like the Performance Delivered podcast, please subscribe to us or leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast application. If you want to find out more about Symphonic Digital, you can visit us at symphonicdigital.com or follow us on Twitter at symphonichq. Thanks again and see you next time. Performance Delivered is sponsored by Symphonic Digital. Discover audience-focused and data-driven digital marketing solutions for small
1: and medium businesses at symphonicdigital.com.